a passage of John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. This is the reading of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, was a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which was a five-roof colonnade. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One man was there who had been there, invalid, for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there for a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. We'll start a new series this morning. It will take us uh, to the beginning of the school year sometime uh, right in the, the middle of August. And we're calling this series Jesus Stories. If you were with us last fall, we went through a number of stories through the book of Mark. This time we'll go through uh, four stories about Jesus and the power of Jesus in people's lives through the book of John. And I want to look at these stories and look in particular at who Christ is and what Christ has called his people to be and how he calls his people to do that. And this story uh, is an accurate story and it's so true for us. And when I was studying and preparing for it this week, uh, when I, when, uh, two or three weeks ago, I read it over and over again. And I thought, really, Lord, that's the one you laid on my heart? Like, that's the passage? Because when I first came to it, it seems pretty self-explanatory. And I thought, how am I going to teach uh, this passage to your people? And over uh, the last few weeks, the goodness of God and his sovereignty and his power uh, brought some things to my mind. And I think so many of us can relate to this man at Bethesda. And it's a question that we all have to ask. Do we want to be healed? Do we really want to be healed? That's the question that Jesus has. And coming out of the story, you think, man, what a ridiculous question. Of course the man wants to be healed. But Jesus isn't talking to him about his physical health. He's talking about the man's heart. And I, I thought to myself, so many of us come to Jesus. And we answer the question, we want to be healed. But really, we're coming to Jesus. Rather than having a surgery that's going to take time to heal, we just slap a Band-Aid on it and hope it goes away. We come to Jesus as the Band-Aid maker. I, I love how Cedar, Cedar does it all the time. He'll fall, he'll uh, bump something. Uh, this week, we, this, uh, this is kind of gross, but I'll tell you all anyway. This week we were cleaning out his ears. He had some wax in it, and, and I guess mom uh, got in there a little too deep, and, and it hurt him. And so for the next five hours, he wanted us to keep putting a Band-Aid on his ear because of the wax. It's like everything can cure anything if you just slap a Band-Aid on it, right? Isn't that true for kids? Like there's no blood involved. There, there's no scrape involved. There, there's not even a mark. But, man, they fall, they want to slap a Band-Aid on it because they think, man, that's going to help heal things. And yet, how many of us do that with Jesus? And Jesus is going to ask us over and over and over again the same question as he asked the man, do you want to be healed? Do you want healing in your life? And I asked you that question this morning as we look at the text and what Jesus 
is really getting at in that text. Let's start in verse 1. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You see, what had just happened, remember chapter uh, 3 and 4 of John, what had just happened after these things. In chapter 3, Jesus had gone to Nicodemus and said to Nicodemus, hey, do you want to be saved? Do you really want to be saved, Nicodemus? And Nicodemus says, what what do you mean to be saved? He says, do you really want to be born again? Nicodemus says to Jesus, "Do, do I have to go back into my mother to be reborn again? Clueless. And then in chapter 4, he goes to the woman at the well. Remember what he said at the woman at the well. Are you really thirsty? She says, I'm thirsty. Give me this water that you speak of. Both Nicodemus and the lady at the well, they had superficial understanding of what Jesus was there offered. The same is true for this man here. Superficial understanding of what Jesus could do. And there was a feast. The scholars aren't sure which feast. There's three primary feasts for the Jews. But what what the writer John is getting at, the evangelist John is getting at, is to say, hey, there was a lot of people in Jerusalem because there was a feast. This place is packed out. Anyone had the courage or the stupidity, I'm not sure which one, to go downtown to uh, the 4th of July in downtown Nashville? I was like, man, I saw that on the news. I thought, that is a nightmare to me. But you got to think, that's what's going on in Jerusalem. There's that many people that have come into the city to celebrate this feast. So it's packed out. And then the writer says where they're at. Now, there in Jerusalem was the Sheep Gate, a pool called Bethesda. Now, the Sheep Gate was at the very back of the city. It was the very north part of Jerusalem. It was where the people would come into the city. It was the Sheep Gate because that's where they would bring their animals into the city to get to the tabernacle to make feasts. So they're coming with their animals to the back. And it says there's this place in the back of the city called Bethesda. We could just glance over that word, but here's what the word means. A house of mercy. Think about that. The writer John, in his mind, says, hey, these are the people that are at the house of mercy. And what are they doing at the house of mercy? They're wanting healing. There's this pool. There's two pools with five colonies. That's just five pillars that meant that there was a covering over these two pools. And there's this superstition that said, hey, every time that the water underneath this pool or the aqueduct moves and it stirs up the water if somebody jumps into that water they're going to be healed i might step on toes saying this one it it, it was it's superstition i i'm starting to not believe so much Uh, anyone deal with oils i told you i'm gonna step on some toes like there's some super for me it's been a long time of superstition well this past week i had this back pain and uh bonnie kate said hey just rub some of this on i'm like okay anything to relieve the pain well the pain went away now was it the lord that relieved the pain or the oils i don't know i just know my pain was relief but that was true in that day that somewhere at some time someone jumped into this water they came out healed so they believe that whoever got in the pool first would be saved would be healed at the place of what? Mercy. And it says this in verse 3. 
And in these lay a multitude of invalids. So think of the scene. Think, just get your mind around this place. So all the people, if you were Jewish, would have to come into Jerusalem for the feast. That was part of it. So think about how packed this place must have been. Think about if you go to other stories, remember the four men that carried their friend to Jesus. Well, there would have been friend after friend that would have carried their friends to the place of Bethesda for healing. So this place is packed out of invalids, paralyzed, blind, lame, mute. Just just think of the scene for a moment. It wasn't a pretty picture. It was what they would say was the low life of society. And they're all around, staring at this pool, waiting for it to stir so that somebody could jump in. You ever seen uh, around the holidays? I'm sure none of y'all did this. But it's like that scene uh, right after Thanksgiving. Now, now you can go to the stores right before Thanksgiving. It's crazy. There's no such thing as Black Friday. But if you remember back in the day, they, they wouldn't open till Friday morning. And think of that long line that was outside. You ever seen the YouTube where people, they open the door and it's just this flood of chaos? Well, think about that moment. How much more of the chaos when that pool started stirring than a $10 toy and a place that you could find healing. Think of that chaos because it only happened for one person. And here in the midst of the chaos, there's a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. And I thought to myself this week as I study this passage that the same is true for every one of us in this building and every one of us that live outside of this building that we're in the midst of chaos and that we go to thing after thing after thing hoping that would be the thing that would bring relief and healing all of us at some point in our life were invalids we were all blind We were all lame. We were all paralyzed. That's what the book of Romans tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. I'll read that. You don't have to turn there this morning. This is what Paul says to us in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. This is true for all of us in the room. For while we were still weak, Does that not sound like a blind person, a paralyzed person, an invalid? Why we were still weak. Because what does it say? At the right time. At the right time when the water were to stir, the invalids would get into the pool. At the right time. While we were still weak, at the right time, it says this. Christ died for the ungodly. For one would surely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person wouldn't dare even to die. But Christ showed his, God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So for all of us, we were all blind, 
We are all lame and we are all paralyzed. The blindness, spiritual blindness is this. We cannot see the truth. That's what blindness is. You cannot see. That's what blindness is. And all of us in this room were once blind to the truth, were we not? And all of us, due to our blindness, were lame. We did not know where to go. You ever seen a blind person walk without help? It's a sad, sad thing. They bump into things. They wander things. It's like, I'm more anxious for the blind person than the blind person. It's like, man, not too long ago, I was on Memorial and watching this blind man walk. And I'm like, you don't have a dog and you don't have a walking stick? Like, this is going to be a disaster. And I I kept looking at them walking. I kept, I drove past them and I kept looking in my rearview mirror, which became a hazard for my own self. But I think to myself, how much do we walk around blind, therefore we don't even know the truth, and we can't walk in the truth, which leaves us ultimately paralyzed. We, if we don't know the truth, we can't respond to the truth, and the truth isn't going to, what we'll study in a few weeks, set us free. And that's what was happening for these men and these women and these children, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And yet I love this next word, two words. In the midst of all the chaos, here's Jesus in the middle of the chaos. Maybe hundreds of people by that pool that day. And yet this two words, one man. One man in the midst of the chaos. Jesus sees one man. One man, it says, was there and had been invalid for 38 years. I thought to myself, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. And sometimes it comes through one man. I, I think of Luke chapter 15, that Jesus... It says about Jesus, it's in a parable, but that Jesus is like the woman that lost one coin and she scours the whole house looking for that one coin. It it says this about the good shepherd, that there's one sheep that wandered astray, and yet Jesus, being the great shepherd, goes after the one sheep. It, It says this in Luke 15, that the one son, the prodigal son, went wandering away, and Jesus went after the one son. You see, the truth is, You and I were the one man or the one woman. He sees us as individual people and he cares for us as individual people. He is coming after us because he knew that we were blind, that we were lame, and that we were paralyzed. And it says this one man who had been there for 38 years, when Jesus saw him laying there, he knew he had been there for a long time. Think about how disheveled that man must have looked. Just think for a moment. 38 years. It says this man had been there for 38 years waiting for the pool to get stirred so he could go down into. And in the middle of all the commotion, in the middle of all the co- chaos, 
Jesus locks eyes on one man's heart. I am so thankful for Jesus locking his eyes on my heart when I was 18 years old. Because you talk about a man that was blind to the truth of God, that was lame, that was paralyzed, that was me, amen? And yet Jesus locked eyes on me. He said, I'm going after him. Jesus was always on mission. He always lived on mission. We saw that with Nicodemus. We saw that with the woman at the well. We see this now here in this text, that Jesus lived on mission, looking and seeking to save that which was lost. And then he says to the man, and I'm like, really, Jesus? That's when I came to the passage. I thought, really? That, that's your question, Jesus? On the surface, it seems like such an uncompassionate question, such a rude question. He, he says to him, hey, do you want to be healed? Well, really, Sherlock? I mean, I'm just telling you what I'm going through my mind. Like, I've been laying here for 38 years. That's really going to be your question? My question would have been, hey, can I help you? But see, what Jesus is about to get to is the man's heart. He's saying to the man, do you really want to be healed? Because here's the reality of it. If I heal you, everything in your life is going to change. If I heal you and you really want healing, then look, man, everything in your life is going to have to be changed. Because for them, being an invalid was good money. It's good money today. You go panhandle on the street of Nashville, you're going to make good money. You might even make better money than you're making now. And he says to the man, do you really want to be healed? Because the moment you get up, the moment you take your mouth, the moment you walk, everything around you is going to change. You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to contribute to society. You're going to have to partake in society. You can't be a beggar anymore. You're going to have to give back. You see, everything's going to have to change. And then he goes after the man's heart. Even your heart is going to have to change. You see, we have an epidemic in this society called homelessness. Now, some people are homeless because they have to be. But a lot of people are homeless because they want to be. And that's what Jesus is asking the man. Hey, because, you know, when, when I change you and when I set you free and when you walk, hey, life is going to get really hard. And I'm not saying to you right now, life isn't hard laying on this mat next to this pool, but life is going to get really, really, really challenging. And if I change your heart spiritually, you better believe it's going to be even more of an onslaught. Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want that? And that's the question I've got to ask myself. That's the question you have to ask yourself. The first, if you don't know Jesus today, do you really want healing? Do you really want it? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If you want it and you receive it, everything in your life has to change. It's got to be progressive redemption, is what he tells us. Ongoing sanctification. You cannot just walk an aisle prayer, prayer, turn around and go back and nothing changed in your life. That's not true salvation. That's called a band-aid. And so many of us have come thinking we've done something and all we've done is slap the band-aid on it. 
We don't have true salvation. Because if you look through the Gospels, you look through the New Testament, every single man and woman that's been converted by the power of Jesus, their life has radically changed. The ending of the story is this man got healing, but he never got salvation. That is tragic to me. I'll show you how I see this in the passage. He says, do you really want to be healed? Do you really want salvation today? And then look what the man does. Look how the man answers Jesus' question. The man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. And when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going another step, someone steps down before me. He doesn't answer Jesus' question. He makes an excuse. Do you really want healing? The, the, the answer is simple, is it not? Yes. What does the man do? Comes up with a thousand excuses of why it's not happening for him. It's the essence of self-pity. Here's a self-pity man that he doesn't realize who's speaking to him to say to him, hey, I, I can do way more for you than just heal your lameness and your blindness and you being paralyzed. I can do something for your heart and soul. Is that what you want? Well, I, man, you know. You know, I, you know, if someone else would just roll me on in, I'd be all right. He, he doesn't get it. And I wonder for us, how many of us have come to Jesus and Jesus says, do you really want healing? Do you really want change? And we come up with a thousand excuses. And not, kind of, not really. Well, if my, my wife hadn't have done that, or my husband hadn't have done that, or my kids would have done this, or my kids would have done that. And I just see the picture in Jesus. And what does he say to say after he comes up with these excuses? And I think to myself, how many of us have come up with excuses? I, I just have three for us answering the question. The first one is we become like Adam and Eve and we do the blame game. We blame everyone else for not being transformed, for not spiritually conforming to what Christ has called us to. That's the first one. The second one is this, that we're so self-centered that we think, I don't really need your healing. I'll do it a different way. That's what he's saying. That's what the man is saying. Ah, yeah, nah. Nah, Jesus. I got a better way. The better way is to jump into this pool. That, that's what he's saying, is it not? Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed? Because I can do the healing. I can make you alive again. I can make you walk again. And the man says, I don't know about that one, but I know about this one. And I wonder about us in the room. Jesus is offering us healing. And we take the cowardly way out. Or we take what I say the third way, the easy way out. It's easier not to follow Jesus, is it not? Anyone experienced, man, it's easy to follow Jesus? Because if you had, write a book, you'll sell millions and millions of copies, you'll be a millionaire. Following Jesus is never the easy way. 
He tells us that. Narrow is the way that leads to life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. That's the easy way. But so many of us, we want the easy way out. We want the easy way to healing. We don't want to put the sweat and the energy and the heart into our ongoing healing. This is my interpretation of what happens. He says, do you want to be healed? And when the man answered, I think Jesus had kind of gotten to the point of like, all right, enough excuses. And what does he say to the man? And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. I'm not going to push you in the water. I'm not going to have someone else pull you into the water. I'm going to do it my way. And my way is get up, take your mat and walk. You are set free by my power and my power alone, not by the water. What does it say the man does? And at once, immediately, think about that for a moment. Here's a guy that's been laying there for 38 years. You, you talk about not, anyone ever like not used a muscle for 10 days and what that's felt like? Anyone broke an arm and you get it cast and for like six weeks in a cast, they saw the cast off and that first movement, the pain of that, anyone ever experienced that? Well, here's a guy that hasn't moved his legs for 38 years. Think about that much muscular atrophy. And in a moment, Jesus says, get up, rise. And he has to get up. And I, I have this image in my head that as he's getting up and pushing off the ground moment by moment, it's like that scene, it's, it's a the scene from when Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk. Remember, Bruce Banner's a tiny, frail man, and he starts, like, becoming the Hulk, and muscles just are popping out everywhere. That's the, that's the image I get when this man starts pushing up. Man, muscle is just starting to come to him that he's never seen muscle for 38 years. I wonder what's going through this man's mind. Like, wow, what, what's, what's happening to me? And he gets up, and he walks away. Now, that day was the Sabbath. It's interesting that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. He could have done it on Saturday. He could have done it on or Friday. He could have done it on Sunday. He waits Saturday the, the Saturday to heal him. I, I think he did this for what's about to happen. You see, this is the moment in Jesus' ministry that everything for Jesus changed. This is the story. Chapter 5 of John is when... Everything changed for Jesus. This is the moment that Jesus is going to start facing persecution, but he did it through healing the man of walking. He did it through spiritual conviction. Everything changed for Jesus from this moment on. Jesus was on mission. And so he gets up, the man walks, he takes his bed, and he begins to walk. It's the Sabbath. The Sabbath meant you couldn't do any kind of working on the Sabbath. Like even rolling up your mat and walking with your mat was breaking the Sabbath according to tradition. But Jesus goes right after tradition. I'm going to save someone and I'm going to bust through your tradition to do it. And so the Jews, the people of the law, said to the man who had been healed, 
these people knew the man who'd been laying there for 38 years. And all of a sudden, this man's walking around the city. And the Jewish people, the, the rulers of the people said, man, what? You've been healed? Like, how did it happen? Look what the man does. It is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. They point the finger at the man. Now look what the man does. But he answered them. That man, the man who healed me, he's the man that said, take up your bed and walk. It's not on me. It's not on me. Remember the question that Jesus had just asked him moments before. Hey, do you really want healing? Do you really want healing? Because when I heal you, everything has to change. And in the moment, we see the man's heart. He wanted physical healing. He did not want spiritual healing. He went and blamed Jesus for the healing. And the Jews get all stirred up. They get all feisty. They get all mad. But he answered, the man who healed me, he's the one that told me to take my bed and walk. And then the, the Jews asked him, who is this man that said, take up your bed and walk? They were plotting to get to Jesus. Now, the man had been healed, did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. I love this in verse 14. After the man had just denied Jesus, blamed Jesus, after this, Jesus found the man in the temple and he said to him, see, you are well. See, you are healed. And then Jesus goes to the heart with the next statement. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus knew what the man had just done. Jesus knew the man had turned on Jesus. And Jesus still, with a loving heart, says to the man, hey, you're still well. I'm not going to bring condemnation onto you for turning away. I I'm not going to transform you back to the invalid. I'm not going to do that to you. Though you know I have the power because I just raised you to walk on your feet. I can do that if I want to. He says to the man, go and sin no more. That's such a compassionate God. A God of second chances, a God of third chances, a God of fourth chances. That Jesus knew that everything in his ministry, because of what this one man had just done to him, was going to change the rest of his time on earth. He knew that because this one man said it was Jesus, that everything about Jesus, the persecution was going to come. You talk about wanting to retaliate? I would have. But Jesus says to the man, go and sin no more. That something worse doesn't happen to you. What's worse than being an invalid for 38 years? What Jesus is talking about, hey, if you continue on sinning and don't bring repentance, what's worse is you're going to spend eternity in hell apart from me, and I can do nothing for you in that moment. There's nothing that Jesus can do for us after eternity when we spend all of eternity in hell. Jesus is saying, I can do something for you now here in the present, but something worse is going to happen to you if you don't live a life of confession. And what does a man do? 
You would think, clue, man, get a, get a clue, bro. Wake up, smell the coffee, rise and shine, transform, do something different with your life. Little rat. Little coward. What's the man do? Verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus. It was him, it was him, it was him. What a coward. He wasn't willing to be healed. Because he knew healing meant, I'm going to have to change all my friends. I'm going to have to change everything that I do. And it's not going to go well for me. What a coward, what a rat. He told the Jews it was Jesus who healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And then look what Jesus says in verse 17. But Jesus answered them, the Jewish people, the religious people that were persecuting him. He says, my father has been working until now. And now I'm working. What he does, he doesn't just say, hey, I'm doing my father's work. That would have been the easy way out for Jesus. What Jesus does, we'll see it. I don't have time to teach on it. Jesus says in that moment to what he just said is, hey, you, you think you understand who God is? I am God. Like, I'm not just saying I'm the son of God, but I'm equal to God. And I can do all things at all times whenever I feel like it. That's the God I am. And that's what he's telling this man. Hey, I'm more than just a healer. I'm your everything. I'm your greatest need. You're going to need me today. You're going to need me tomorrow. You're going to keep on needing me because without me, you're going to keep on being a rat. And I wonder for us, church, have we just come to Jesus and we've got that initial healing but Jesus is saying, do you want ongoing healing? And we say, mm, nah, I'd rather not. Nah, that's too difficult. I'd rather, nah, let me take the easy way out. And Jesus is going to come to us over and over and over and over us again and say, see, you are well. Go and sin no more. So that nothing worse happens to you. See, this question is both for the unbeliever this morning. If you don't know Christ, you don't know the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he came and while we were still weak, we just read it, while we were still weak, at the right time he died for us, that while we were yet sinners, a holy God died for the unrighteous. See, we were unrighteous before God. God's wrath is coming upon all of those who do not trust him as Lord and Savior. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are still the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And Jesus is saying to you in this moment, do you want to be well? And he's offering you that as a free gift. You see, if you look at back at the passage, this man could do nothing this man could do nothing, and yet Jesus 
saw him in the crowd and in that moment offered him everything. You see what Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing this. Jesus is not looking for us to change. He's not waiting for you to change to answer that question. See, the change that happened for that man, the change came when Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be healed? And then Jesus gave him the healing automatically. It didn't depend on the man at all. And yet so much so for us. We were once blind and lamed and paralyzed. We lay invalid before a holy God as he asked us the question, do you want to be healed? And we could say nothing to him. And in that moment, what he does is he offers us grace and mercy and healing, and he gives it to us freely. We did not choose him. He chose us. We looked at it in Ephesians chapter 1. We are his adopted sons and daughters. When you go to adopt a son or daughter, the one that's doing the adopting is the one that chooses, not the one that's being adopted. The adopted never chooses. The one that's adopted chooses. I go in to an orphanage and say, I want that one. That's what God does for us as blind and paralyzed and invalid people. He chooses us. And then in choosing us, he imparts in us the righteousness of God to become children of God. He's not waiting for you to change. But the moment that we receive him, everything changes because of the work of Christ in us. And so I beg the question this morning. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? The lost person today. Do you want that healing? It's a free gift given to you by God. The believer this morning. Do you want that healing? It's called ongoing sanctification. But it goes back to what we sang this morning. I am so needy you Lord Jesus he says this in John chapter 15 apart from you we can do nothing let us pray God what a powerful story and on the surface it looks like such a ridiculous question you would ask this man do you want to be healed but the ramification of that question and how I and we your people answer that question every day will change everything about us and yes, God, I want to be healed. Yes, God, I want to be more like you. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. I pray in my own life. I pray in the lives of your people. God, we'd stop blaming. We'd stop being self-centered. And we'd stop taking the easy way. Do you want to be healed? And the only response to that is, yes, Lord Jesus, I need you. Because apart from you, Lord Jesus, I will remain blind and lame and paralyzed and I will be an invalid for the rest of my life apart from you. 
If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. You don't know Christ as your healer. You don't know Christ as your Redeemer. Please find myself. Find one of the deacons. Find someone that brought you. We want to share that good news. It is good, good news. And if you're here this morning, and you know Christ, but you would say to him, man, I'm not walking. I'm not walking in healing. I'm not walking in righteousness. I'm not walking in goodness. I need to be healed by myself or one of the deacons. We'd love to pray over you and help you know that the power of Christ as a believer rests in you. He tells us in 1 Peter, the moment of our conversions, we have all that we need to live a life of godliness and holiness. May that be true for us.